welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. My name's Micah. If we haven't met, glad you're here. Um, just a couple things as we kind of get started. If you're new, um, super welcome to you. Can you say that? Super welcome. Uh, I'm really excited that you're here. But there are some cards on the table, uh, tables around you. If you wouldn't mind filling one of those out and letting us know who you are. Uh, if there's an email or a cell phone or something, uh, we would. our commitment is that uh, if you fill one of those out, we'll get in touch with you. Um, probably by email and try to set up a time to have coffee and just tell you a little bit more about Awaken and uh, for us, it's a great opportunity to get to know you and your story. So if you're looking for a community to be involved in, uh, that's kind of our way to connect with folks. So if that's you, you can put those in the little silver buckets as well as any tithes or offerings that you brought this morning. Um, so we're in this series called Channels, and uh, last week we participated in, or we talked about uh, silence and solitude. We're going to get to, in just a moment, uh, an opportunity for you guys to share a little bit. I'm excited about this. I hope that uh, hopefully you are as well. But just a reminder, kind of as we start, for those that weren't here, um, we kind of we, we we talked last week about a few assumptions and sort of presuppositions that we start with that kind of set up this series. So I wanted to just briefly talk about those again, uh, so that we kind of know where we're going and why we're doing this. Um, we we start with the assumption that the scriptures uh, often in a number of different places, most famously in, in John, where Jesus talks about uh, he meets the woman at the well, and he says that, you know, uh, that there's this living water that uh, she has access to, and, and likens or talks about God in terms of water. Uh, the scriptures do this often. So there's this idea of God being this reservoir of water, this living water that satisfies, that nourishes our, kind of the thing that we are looking for, uh, and, and there's this metaphor of water that, that the scriptures speak about. Um, the assumption for Jesus in this passage is that this woman has the possibility or the potential to access this water. So there's this assumption or this belief that we can, as humans, actually live in such a way that we access and tap into this reservoir of living water, so to speak, or this thing, you know, if we talk about God, this ineffable, um, kind of indescribable being, and yet the scriptures speak it in the terms of water, and we can have access and tap into this and actually live from such a place where uh, we channel or we, uh, we, we create thing, habits and things in our lives that allow us to access this God that, that's offering uh, God's self. So those assumptions, as well as these practices, you saw a few of them on the screen, prayer, uh, prayer and meditation is today, silence and solitude last week. We'll talk about uh, sacred reading or Lectio Divina next week. Uh, we're going to spend some time talking about silence. Um, I'm sorry, um, simplicity and secrecy and some of these other things that the, the church has known as kind of spiritual disciplines or practices, that these are not only things that the church has practiced and that religious people have done throughout, in particular the Christians, as well as others, but for us, uh, certainly that stream's important. Um, these have been things that religious people have practiced and participated in from long, long thousands of years, but they're also actually something that taps into the best possible way to be human. If we think about, uh, actually, the, the, there's all kinds of studies, um, scientific and biological and chemical things that are going on in our bodies, and science tells us that these practices, silence and solitude and prayer and meditation, that these actually have 
um, physical benefits for us and our bodies. So this isn't just something that's spiritual or that the Bible talks about or that Jesus talks about, but it's actually connected to the best possible way to be human, which of course we would say, if Jesus came to do anything, he obviously addresses sin and that issue of redemption and how we're in relationship with God, but also offers, hey, listen, this is, the, this is humanity at its best on display in Jesus. So when Jesus comes and says, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, what he's saying is, listen, this is what it means to be human. Paul talks about Jesus as the second Adam or the first fruit of new creation. So there's this, there's this idea that these disciplines or these practices not only tap into something spiritual, but also just physical. Like, what does it mean to be a, a human being? So those are a few assumptions. This is not about rules and regulations. Um, as we talk about these things, this is, this is not another thing to put on the list of things you should or shouldn't do, or if you want to be a good Christian or follow Jesus, that you have to do these things. That's not what this is about at all. It's not about another thing that we use to assess each other or assess ourselves in kind of this graded holiness scale. Um, this is an invitation to participate in something that I believe, as your pastor, is going to benefit you in following Jesus. Uh, so it's not about rules and regulations. That's, that's as far from it. So the essence of this series is about, like the title says, channels. I believe and we believe that these practices will actually begin to create grooves in our hearts, so to speak. Grooves in us that will allow us to access this living water that God's offering. So that's what this is all about. Last week was silence and solitude. And the, the invitation for you was to take some time out of your week and to be silent, to sit, to, to still your, your hearts and your minds. And so I'm curious uh, if, if anybody, um, and we'll continue to do this, so if, you were, if this catches you off guard, either you weren't listening last week or you weren't here, um, but I want to hear from you guys, and I want, I want to sort of uh, allow the community to bless each other. So anybody that, that gave this a crack this week, it doesn't have to be like, oh my gosh, it was amazing. You can say, this was really, really hard for me, and quite frankly, I didn't like it. That's fine too, okay? So this will hit all different places for all different sorts of people. So anybody, uh, uh, chime in, pipe, you know, start... start Anybody uh, participate in this, and what was it like for you? I, I teach yoga yeah. once a week, and um, at the end of the class, the whole class does 10 minutes of silence and solitude, but I go into the other room and set up for my next class, but instead I practice, hmm. and I fell asleep. Awesome. <laughs> so yep. what did you learn? Tired. I actually like really absorbed the peace of yeah. all the people around me. Yeah. Too, they were being. I just realized that I really needed that hmm. time. As a teacher, I probably should have dozed off, but <laughs> it was it was cool. good to practice with other people who yeah. were participating. And so I have people who leave early sometimes, and I really encourage them that this is the most valuable time. Yeah. For them, whether they believe in my God or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think sometimes when we're silent, um, we see things and hear things that we wouldn't have been able to see or hear when everything's just going, going, going. So, I would say maybe you're tired, Katie, and you need to you need to rest more. But we've had that conversation. So. <laughs> Others, what else?
Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Chelsea. Anybody else? Did anybody find it really difficult? I can't see some of you, but... I kind of have a sense for what you're talking about. And, uh, I got a quick description of last week's yeah. uh, service from Chelsea. And uh, I'm familiar with the practice of kind of switching off the mind and switching off the heart. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Maybe one more? Okay, so we're Minnesotans, and this is church, right? And uh, usually that's where you sit and you be quiet and you listen to the guy or girl up front. So just a reframe, right? Reset. When we do this, you're free to participate, and I think the real beauty and blessing comes when we teach each other and we hear each other. So uh, for next week, as we kind of leave this week with a challenge or an invitation, feel free to think about, oh, I might share this next week. Okay. It's a good start. It's a good start. So this week, we're going to talk about prayer and meditation. Here's what I want to do. I want to start with just a a little bit of theological work on prayer, which is a really tricky thing to do. I found it very challenging, uh, but I have a few thoughts on that. And then I want to just talk a little bit about different versions of prayer as the church has participated in it throughout church history. Uh, And we'll actually get to some of the things that we talked about last week or connect some of the dots there. So what is prayer? Let's start there. According to the dictionary, it says this, a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or an object of worship. So prayer, by the definition of the dictionary, is this thing that we participate in. Christians, uh, Buddhists, Hindu, you know, any, any, any number of people, anyone can pray. But it's this idea of requesting or expressing some kind of gratitude or worship towards uh, God, uh, whatever God it is that you're praying to. Um, let me start by saying this. Here's, I want to offer just a couple of thoughts on prayer as we kind of move forward. Um, I want to start by saying prayer is an assumption or an awareness that we start with about God and about the world. So if you would turn to Genesis chapter 28, Genesis 28, and as you're turning there, I'll just say, before we say or do anything, 
Prayer, I want to say, is a posture that we submit our mind, our body to, and it's assumption. It's an assumption that we start with about the world and about God. So this is the story of Jacob. Jacob has just stolen his brother's birthright. Esau, the hairy guy, you remember this? And uh, he, he flees to the desert. He, he flees his brother because his brother's going to kill him. Uh, ironic, just, just putting some pieces some points together for you. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the desert and the wilderness. The wilderness in Hebrew is this word that has the, the root word that is to speak or to speak with. So in the Hebrew scriptures, over and over and over again, we see people going out into the wilderness and inevitably what happens in the wilderness is God speaks. Uh, and so it's a very interesting play uh, on, on the word and what's happening. So Jacob flees, he goes out to the desert, and he has this dream where God kind of um, shows up in a way that he's not really familiar with. And he says this in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. So he wakes up from this dream and says, surely God is in this place and I was not aware of it. So the assumption there is that Jacob, at least in some way, shape or form, was participating, living life, just going along and didn't recognize that God was present in the moment that he was in. And and I think the, the takeaway from this as I read it is this reminder of the very fact that God is present in every single moment, active and, and alive and present, even here, right now. I think sometimes we think about the world and God created the world and... Uh, um, In Genesis 1 and 2, when God does create the world, there's this invitation to Adam and Eve to participate in the ongoing work of creation and the stewardship of creation. So it's not like God creates and then walks away or is distant and absent, which I think is sometimes how we think about God, but actually God is intimately, continuously present and active in and through the work of creation. So prayer, for me, begins with the assumption or the reminder that God is not absent and distant, but God is present and active in, the, in every moment in, and in, is as near as the breath that you just took. So how often do we think about God or we think about the day-to-day stuff and it's like, okay, do we recognize that God is present in this moment right here, right now? And for Jacob, he has this experience where something, uh, uh, a trigger gets flipped or a switch gets flipped and he recognizes that, oh my gosh, God God is here in this moment and I was not aware of it. Have we ever had those experiences where we realize that God is here, and, I, I, and, and for whatever reason, now I see it. So prayer begins with this assumption or this, this sort of ground-level belief that God is present in this moment, in every moment, and is accessible. And, and so then prayer becomes this awareness or begins with this awareness that God is present and active and moving in this moment right here and right now. And if I have eyes to see it and ears to hear it, then I can participate and be attuned to what God is doing in this moment right here, right now. So prayer starts with that for me. Uh, So it's this awareness. I would say secondly, and this is really simple, but it's communication with the divine. Prayer is this communicative act that we participate in with God, with the divine. Now, I was, uh, when I was in high school, um, I had to pay for my own uh, car insurance and my own gas and my own car, and so I didn't get my driver's license until I was a senior in high school, <sighs> till I was like 18 and a half, uh, and, and uh, didn't, finally, I got a car, it was a, a 76 Velari. anybody want to sing the song? 
There we are. Thank you very much. Every time I say that, somebody starts into this song. Evidently, it was, it was a great marketing tool. They should, they should be a case study in some marketing school. So Valari, Plymouth Valari, mustard yellow, r- fake ragtop, you know, the one that looks like a ragtop convertible, but then it starts to peel off and you recognize, okay, that's what that is. That's what I drove. So I go to my, I go to my driver's test and my grandpa, my grandpa Charlie, who's actually been here, he sits usually right over there, near 90 now. Uh, he takes me to my driver's ed test. And so I go out there with the Plymouth Volari. Chaz drives me out there. I, I buckle up just the seat, just the lap belt, no shoulder straps on the Volari, just the lap belt, buckle up. And I get in the deal with, with the driver's ed guy. And he says, okay, pull out and turn left. And so we're going through the little course, stop here, put your turn signal on, turn right, turn left. So then he says, just up ahead, why don't you make a left? So there's actually two just up aheads. And uh, there's the first one and then the second one. And he meant the second one, and I thought the first one. So I pull up to the first one, and I turn signal, and I turn in to the left into uh, the right-hand lane. And he, um, he says, actually, just very calmly, very quietly, he says, actually, this is a one-way street, so you're going to want to go ahead and turn at the next opportunity um, and get off. And so I'm like, okay, okay, fine. So I go through the rest of the task, totally uh, just smoke the, the parallel parking bit, and I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get my license finally. I can take my girlfriend out on a date. And uh, we get to the end, and he says, um, actually, you did great. You passed, except for the turning on the wrong way on a one-way, and I have to fail you. Immediate failure. Like, that was cruel and unusual punishment. You should have just told me I failed so I could have left, but then he makes me go through the whole deal. But his whole point was, listen, you can't drive one way. You can't drive the wrong way on a one-way street. Now, you might be thinking, why is he telling me this story about driver's ed and one ways and all this other stuff? And I say that to say this. Prayer, when we think about it often, is this communication with God. And I want to say to you this morning that it is absolutely a two-way street. That it is a two-way deal where, yes, we communicate with God, but it's also the place, one of the places in which God communicates with us. And I'll say this, and it's going to be crass, but I think it's true. When we, when we see prayer as this communicative act that goes one way, we often kind of prostitute prayer for our own purposes, our own needs, and our own desires. And in the same way, it cheapens what prayer is when it's just for me and it's just for us. I'll let you fill in the blanks because we have little ears here, but when we do this... I would say there's a very similar thing, and and it cheapens what prayer is. Prayer is not just a one-way deal. It has to be, and it is a two-way street. Um, Now, it's very important. I'll just say this. Uh, When we think about prayer and and how God communicates with us, uh, this is going to look different for everybody in the room. Um, For me, prayer has always been like, it feels like wrestling with God. And communicating, hearing from God has always been like I was in a wrestling match with God. I feel very attuned and akin to Jacob. It's never clear. It's always muted. Uh, It's always very quiet whenever it happens, whenever I feel like God's speaking to me. And it's always through a lot of hard work that I get to the conclusion where I'm like, I am pretty sure that God's speaking to me on this one. Now, for some of you, it's like living in 3D. It's technicolor, it's dreams and visions, it's all these kinds of things. And I just want to put this out there, that it's going to be different for each and every one of us, how God speaks to us. And so if you're here this morning, and maybe you're part of a mom's group, and some of the other moms are like, when God speaks, it's like, woo, you know, uh, you know, I mean, like dreams and visions, or audible, or it's just, I'm so confident that God is saying this, and you're sitting there thinking, man, that is not how I experience God. I want to just sort of like, say, hey, own your experience with God and, ha- and feel f- absolutely free to not compare yourself to other people and how other people hear from God. When we compare ourselves to other people's, we compare our insides to other people's outsides, it leads to despair all the time. 
So feel free to own your experience with God and don't, ju- don't compare yourself to others, but then also let's not judge one another. Just because someone else's experience of God isn't like yours doesn't mean it's less than. We each have a very unique and personal, and isn't that the beautiful thing, that we have this unique and very personal experience with the living God. So own that, be free to own that, be free to live in that. Um, just recently with, with the, ins- the installation of this practice that we're going to do today, for me, it's changed. Uh, something has changed in me, and there have been moments when I would describe it now, like when I hear God speaking, it's like lightning. It's like a lightning bolt. It's like uh, like if you've ever had an insight where something just comes upon you, and it's just so far out of the norm for you that you know this is something special. For me, as of late in this practice of, of imaginative prayer, that's how it's happening, and it's it's very new for me, and, I, and I'm loving it. It's like zing, you know, like I'm, I just put my finger in a light socket. Uh, that's great. Man, my hair stands up and smoke comes out of my No, I'm kidding. It doesn't. But it's been awesome. So all that to say, um, prayer is both, it's, it's two ways. It's, it's us communicating with God, but it's also God communicating with us. Um, I, I would say, so it's this assumption. It's this, uh, this two-way communication thing. But it's also uh, us being honest about ourselves and with God. Uh, you and me being honest about who I am and what I bring to the table, so to speak, and also being honest with God. I mean, think about how often do we pray and we pray all the things that we ought to pray, right? We pray all the things that we, that as, as a person who follows Jesus and goes to church and whatever, we pray the things that we ought to pray. But how often do we just let it rip, you know, when we're really upset or we're really angry or we're really frustrated or we're really disappointed and we just let God have it? When's the last time that happened for you? Uh, I, I read the Psalms and I love some of David, David's prayers because they're just totally and utterly terrible theology. I mean, terrible theological statements that he makes, but it's fine. It's fine. He just lets it rip and he lets God have it. And he's, he's frustrated, he's mad, he's angry, whatever it is, just pours it out. And I want to say that as we talk about, as we think about prayer, that it's got to be this thing that's honest and not only uh, this honest act that you're, that you're participating in, but it's you being honest about yourself and bringing that to the table. I would say that to know and love God is directly connected to your ability to know and love yourself. Now, that sounds a little weird. Let me unpack that. To know and love God is directly connected to your ability to know yourself and to love yourself. Think about if you're in a relationship with a person. Say you're, you're chasing after a gal or a guy or whatever, and, uh, and you, you, you begin this relationship with them, and you kind of just hide some of the things, or you don't tell all the things about you, and you're, you're actually a CIA operative, but you can't say that. And so, I just saw this in a movie the other day. Um, so you, you kind of create this, you create this facade or whatever that doesn't let the person into all of the things that you actually are, and, and you can maybe translate it for your own thing. So maybe it's not a CIA agent, but uh, maybe you, you, you've had this in your past or you're, you struggle with this or whatever, and you just, you don't let, let all of that thing uh, out there. And then it comes to light where actually you're not, you're not this person, but you're this person. And how frustrating would it be if you're the other person to think, I've built this relationship on some facade, this, this version of a person that's not actually true to the person of, in and of themselves. Does that make sense? How frustrating that might be? And I don't think it's any different with God. I don't think it's any different. When we present a version of ourselves to God that's neater, tidier, more sanitized, whatever, and we build this relationship with God on that, and it's not the true self, not our true self, 
I think it, it absolutely hinders our ability to know and love God because we don't even know and love ourselves. So how do you, in and through prayer, offer to God a, a honest and true understanding of who you are? One that lays it all out there. And when that happens, when we can do that and we can, when we can participate in that in prayer, I think we actually start to build something. Now we're onto something. Now we're cooking. Because the relationship that's being built or, or lived into is actually one that sits on something solid and not something that is the, the best version or the version I tell myself about myself, right? Or the version that I project to people around me so that they think such and such about me but I also do this with God. So I want to I say that it's got to be something that's honest and authentic. Last, I would say, prayer is something that enlarges, connects, and changes us. Prayer, when we participate in prayer, it enlarges us, it, 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 it expands us, it connects us, and it changes us. I mean, how often uh, when we pray, it enlarges our perspective, it expands our perspective on what might be possible in the moment, in the situation, in the relationship. Because if we start with the assumption that God is present and active in the moment, the relationship, or the situation, how much more is accessible in and through God? So if we start with this assumption that God's present and active in this moment, and through prayer, I'm connecting myself to that possibility of God in this present, in this situation, relationship, whatever that it actually expands me and what I'm, what I'm open to happening in the moment, situation, or relationship. So it expands us. It, uh, it connects us to things. Um, I don't know if you've ever had an experience before where you started praying about something, and then all of a sudden through prayer or through uh, this exercise, it, it actually like connects your heart to it, whereas before you weren't as connected or you weren't as uh, invested or you weren't as concerned about whatever it is that you're praying about. But through the act of prayer, you actually become connected to, in a new and different way, the thing that you're praying about. And I would say... Because of all these things, prayer, yeah, it changes things. We see in the scriptures over and over again where people pray and the outcome of whatever situation changes. Now, that's a whole nother theological conversation that we're not going to have today about does God's heart change? Can you change the mind of God? So on and so forth. What, what was it? Uh, uh, who was the guy that prayed for, uh, was it Abraham or Somebody prays and says, you know, God, what about 100? Well, what about 50? Would you spare the city for 25? How about 10? And it's this sort of bartering between God and this person. It's like, does this, does this really happen? God was set on killing these people or this number of people, and then they negotiate, and he's like, okay, I'll spare the city. Sure, prayer changes things or the outcome of things, but maybe more importantly, I think prayer changes us. I think prayer changes you. And when we participate in this practice of prayer, it actually begins to change me. And as I'm engaged with this communicative act where I'm speaking to God and God is speaking to me, I think maybe the, the, the greatest benefit of prayer is not what we're praying for. I pray for my aunt, who, you know, or whatever. I pray for the sick so-and-so, or I pray for this, I pray for that. But what God is doing in me in those moments. If I'm allowing myself to be present to God, What's God doing in me? So I think prayer changes us. So I thought about, you know, what do I offer as far as a theology of prayer? And um, bottom line, I don't know why God answers some prayers or it seems that God answers some prayers and doesn't answer others. I don't know why 
you know, two babies in the ICU can be prayed for and, and one of them makes it and one of them doesn't. I don't know why it seems like God heals some people and doesn't heal other people. I don't have the answers to those questions. And so I, 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 I can't, I refuse to fake it or try to tell you, oh, this is how it works and create some kind of formula because through the scriptures, it's all over the map and in our own experiences, it's all over the map. And I think we have to be honest with that. I don't have an answer for those questions. Uh, I have those questions as well. But I do know a few things about my own experience with prayer and I think some things that the scriptures teach us about prayer, that when we pray, it's, it's connecting us to God, God speaking to us, it's being honest and open with God uh, and, and God certainly using prayer to change us. Uh, a number of things that I think I, I can say with some, some level of confidence. Now, I want to transition a little bit to uh, prayer and some of the ways in which the church has participated in prayer, and then I want to lead us in an exercise that I hope um, gives you some tools in your toolbox, so to speak, to kind of do this on your own this week. So a couple of examples of how prayer has worked out in the scriptures. One would be centering prayer. This is what we talked about last week, actually. And as we begin to kind of flesh these out, you'll see, if you look closely, the lines between silence and solitude and prayer and meditation blur on a number of occasions, this one being one of them. The, the practice that I in, invited you into last week is actually called centering prayer. Here's what one, one author uh, from a book called The Cloud of Unknowing says. It says, here's what you are to do. Lift your heart up to the Lord with a gentle stirring of love, desiring him for his sake and not for his gifts. Center all of your attention and your desire on him and let this be the sole concern of your mind and heart. Do all in your power to forget everything else keeping your thoughts and desires free from involvement with any of God's creatures or their affairs in general or particular. Perhaps this will seem like an irresponsible attitude, he says, but I tell you, let them all be, pay no attention to them. So last week, there was this practice of sort of uh, quiet your mind, quiet your heart, try not to think about anything in fact, empty your mind and your heart, so to speak. And I don't know if any of you left here thinking, man, that seems a little weird, and it seems almost a little like kind of Hindu or Buddhist or like sort of annihilate the will and you know, empty yourself and sort of become nothing. Or, uh, and, and that totally misses the point in the tr- Christian tradition. It's not the annihilation of the will or the, or the destruction of our will or our minds or our hearts, but it's the quieting of our minds and our hearts so that we can hear, right, the things that God might be doing or saying. So it's, you start with the assumption that God wants to fill me, that, that true life and that my will finds its true home as I submit to and surrender the one who made me and the creator who made me. So it starts there, and, and so we quiet our hearts, we quiet our minds so that God might fill, so that God has room to speak, so that God has room to do something. Another author says, centering prayer is an opening, a response, a putting aside of all the debris that stands in the way of our being totally present to the present Lord so that he can be present to us. It is laying aside of thoughts so that the heart can attend immediately to God. This is an early, uh, early church father, Basil Pennington. So there's this difference between centering prayer and maybe other forms of, of meditation that sound like it. So it starts with this assumption that God wants to speak, that God wants to fill. Um, and this is, this is called centering prayer, one of the ways in which this has worked out in the, in, the, in the church tradition. A second one is the Jesus prayer. Um, some of you, do you guys remember that song, Curie Liaison? Curie Liaison on the road that I must travel. You remember that song? 
Who, I don't even know what it's like the 60s or 70s or 80s. I don't even know. But this is a Latin phrase, and, and it comes from something that is rich in the church tradition. In fact, if you've been a part of liturgy before, a lot of the, the choir liturgy pieces that you may have heard have this phrase, Curie Liaison. And the, the, the full phrase is Curie Liaison, Christi Liaison, Curie Liaison. And it means, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And this goes back to like the third, fourth, fifth century, these desert fathers who would go out into the desert and spend time in silence and solitude and this rich tradition of, uh, of prayer and this Jesus prayer. There's this one story of this monk who's walking along the road like 19th century in Russia and there's this young man who hears this passage in the Bible that says like, pray without ceasing, if you've heard that before. And uh, he says, is this really possible? He asked the monk, can you really do this? And so the monk says, come on, follow me for a little while. So he brings the young man into kind of his, his little order. And uh, he, he gives this little, this guy, uh, uh, they call it a cell, which is basically just a circular room where the, the monks would sort of do their spiritual disciplines and practices. And he gives him the uh, prayer beads, which are still used in the Eastern Orthodox Church. He says, pray this prayer. And the prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. He says, pray this prayer 3,000 times a day. 3,000 times. So the young man does it. He says 3,000 times. He's counting with the prayer beads, the whole deal. And he goes back to the monk and he says, okay, 3,000 times a day, I've done it. And the monk says, okay, now go back and do it 6,000 times a day. 6,000 times a day. So the young man's like, okay, I'm going to do it. So he goes back and he spends time in his cell. Lord have mercy, or Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy mercy on me, a sinner, over and over and over and over again, 6,000 times. Goes back to the monk, and the monk says, you're doing great now, 12,000 times a day. Can you imagine the monk, the monk says, rise earlier and stay up later, 12,000 times, until this prayer becomes the very air that you breathe. And so the, the young boy, young man goes back, and his, his tongue's like numb, and his mouth, is, his jaw is all tight from saying this over and over and over, and his hands are numb from counting it on the, on the deal. Until, as the man says, it becomes literally the air that I breathe. The being in the presence of God and praying ceaselessly becomes the air that I breathe. It's what I wake to. It's what I fall asleep to. It's what I dream about. It's, it, it envelops the very essence of who I am. He wrote a book called The Way of the Pilgrim, which is a great spiritual classic that we now have. This, this young boy did. Uh, the idea basically is that, that we surround ourselves, we center ourselves around this, this prayer and um, I don't know if you remember that story in the scriptures where the guy's like beating his chest and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is something that I've just kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you start thinking about something and, you're, and you, okay, I am in a situation, I start thinking about something and I judge somebody or I think something that's just horrible and I just, I say to myself, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And just remind myself that uh, I, am, I am in desperate need of grace. I am in desperate need of God. I am in desperate need of healing of touch, of God's touch. Um, so this is just one of the ways that the church has done that over the centuries. Now, here's what we're going to do today. This is called imaginative prayer, and it comes from a guy named St. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola, like 1400s. And instead of uh, apophatic prayer, which is the centering prayer in the Jesus prayer, where we kind of like quiet our minds and our hearts, the uh, Imaginative prayer, as the name says, is actually about engaging our minds and engaging what's going on in our minds. And it's absolutely critical. This works only because we believe that the Holy Spirit of God is, is alive and active and present and moving. And so we depend and trust. We start with a trust and an assumption that God's Spirit is active and God's Spirit is moving. And, and so I submit and trust that God's Spirit is doing something in and, and wants to communicate with me. 
And so we start there, and imaginative prayer is really the, the practice of engaging our imagination. And uh, there's a passage in, in Paul where he says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds from one degree of glory to another. So this whole prayer practice is based on this idea that we are transformed by something to the degree that we behold it in our mind. Right? We think in pictures, and we think in images. And so to the degree that we can behold something in our minds, it actually begins to transform us and what we believe about the world, about ourselves, about God. So, if, if, for example, if we have an image of God that's uh, connected to a father who abandoned us, and this is the image of God that, we're, that we have in, as our default, then this image of God begins to transform us in, I would say, a very unhealthy way. But if we imagine God and we behold God in a way that's more sound, uh, more connected to what we see in scripture and what we see revealed in Jesus, then that image of God begins to transform us and has the possibility to transform us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to kind of lead you in an exercise and I'm going I'm to kind of take you all by the hand, if you'll let me, and walk you a little, bit way, a little ways down this road. And then I'm going to kind of give you the wheel, all right? And my hope is that as we do this, you have uh, at least some idea as to how you might practice this this week. For me, here's how it begins. I find a quiet place in my house. I have sound-canceling headphones. Okay, I have three kids. They're really, really helpful. <laughs> so if you, have, if, if you have a way to minimize the distractions, it's really helpful. Uh, for me, I play uh, this, uh, one of the tracks that you'll hear today. It's just a, a soundtrack that I've got. I think it's called Liquid Mind. It's just really ambient, like nondescript kind of music. So I'm trying to set a mood. I'm trying to set an atmosphere where I, want, where I can be attentive and attuned to what the Spirit of God is doing. Um, and all of these things are important. Where you sit, be comfortable, find a space that you enjoy. Don't go into the bathroom. Uh, well, unless you can lock the door and just sit in the bathtub. I don't know, whatever. Find a place that's quiet in your house. And uh, if, you, if music helps, then I would encourage you to play some music. And then really it's just about um, making my intentions known to God. God, I'm entering this time and I want you to be present. I trust that your spirit is going to move and direct me and, and guide me. And so my, my response in this is to follow. Okay? So that's kind of how I set it up. So I'm going to ask you guys, if you would, just uh, be comfortable wherever you are. If you want to bow your heads, close your eyes, uh, whatever it is um, to allow you to access kind of your imagination and what's going on in your mind. And uh, so... I want to lead you through this, and then I'll kind of give you the wheel. So if we can, why don't we go ahead and start that soundtrack, Ben, if you would. And just as you settle in, pay attention to what God's doing uh, in the moment. Uh, if you came into the room this morning with lots of things, stresses, or uh, just let those go. you would imagine yourself walking down a road and this road is kind of a symbol of the path for your life it's where you've been it's where you're going just imagine what the path looks like is it curvy is it straight is it narrow hilly or flat is it surrounded by trees or is it in an open field just imagine, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What's under your feet? Gravel or sand or grass. And up ahead, 
What's in your path? Is it clear? Are there things in the way? Something is in your hand and you have been carrying it a really long time. Something that you brought with you today. Just look at it. What's it look like? What's it feel like? Is it smooth? Is it sharp? Is it rough? Is it heavy? What are the thing what's the thing that you're carrying? And now look up ahead and there's a figure moving towards you. You're not sure who it is, but this person seems to know you seems to recognize you. He sees you. He begins moving towards you. And as he comes closer, you see that it's, it's Jesus. What's he look like? Imagine his eyes, his face.
so as you close this time. <clears throat> whatever, whatever you need to say to Jesus. And whatever lies in front of you, whether it's open fields of excitement and wonder or a valley, whatever is before you, just know that we know from scripture that God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be near you. So hear Jesus say that to you. As he grabs your face in his hands and looks you in the eye. He says, I will be with you. And I will be near you. I won't let you go. Holy Spirit, we're grateful for your presence leading and guiding us to truth. And so, God, we, I pray that this week as my friends just engage maybe their minds and their imagination in, new, in a new way, that you would be very real and present to them. I pray, God, that this would be a way by which you would speak and they would hear we would hear. So we're grateful for this time to be with you, Jesus. Remind us of the things that are true about us and about you. We pray. Amen. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter by Awakening Community. See you next time.